Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Kristen Baluch. Kristen is author and illustrator of the picture book, One Million Trees, A True Story. Uh, we're going to be talking about that book uh, and what went into the making of it. And we're also going to be talking about her favorite book, which is the picture book, Don't Cross the Line, which was written by Isabel Minhos Martins and illustrated by Bernardo P. Carvalho. But before we get to all that, I want to let you know that if you're an author of children's books and you're interested in participating in the Dream Gardens podcast, please send me a request through my contact page at jleemott.com. You can also go on there if you want to check out all the other Dream Gardens podcasts. Or if you want to know more about my own work as an author, you can visit my author website at jodylemott.com. And finally, if you like what you hear today, please link, share, comment, write a review, or subscribe, or any combination of those. Please let me know what you think. My guest today is Kristen Baluch. Kristen is author and illustrator of such books as If You Are the Dreamer, Mystery Bottle, and The Little Little Girl with a Big Big Voice. Her latest picture book is One Million Trees. You can find more information about Kristen at www.kristenbaluch.com. I thank you for joining me today, Kristen. Thank you, Jody. It's so great to be here with you. Now, this book, like I said, you have a new book out, which I believe is coming out March 1st. Is that correct? That's right, March 1st. All right, so it should be a short time after this podcast comes out. Uh, so can you talk us a little bit of what this book is that will be coming out? It's called One Million Trees, and it's autobiographical. When my parents, when I was about 10, my parents decided to take us tree planting in Canada. And um, we were on Vancouver Island, and we planted with a crew of tree planters there in, back in 1979. And so what was it the inspiration that you're thinking, you know, this would make a really good picture book? Well, there are a lot of elements to it that I thought were um, current. So there's the trees are amazing and we really need to take care of them. And it's becoming more and more clear. So that it was about replanting, reforesting these parts of BC was important. And there's also, this my parents were kind of unusual, atypical parents at the time, even for at the time. And I think it's kind of interesting for kids to see this a range in parenting styles and how that it, it gives more room to whatever whoever you are becomes uh, more acceptable in a way that if you see ranges of things. So that was also another theme in the book, and also that we were a small group of people, and there, it was a tremendous accomplishment to plant a million trees. Uh, what's interesting about this book, too, is there's like several elements to it. There's, the, there's of course, this main story, you know, telling about what happened, but there's also a lot of other little things. There, there are a few lessons in French. There's a few math problems. There's even instructions about how to plant a tree, among other things. Uh, what, what was it about that you wanted to make this, you know, the story part of it, but to make it uh, a lot more than that, too? Well, I wanted to take that experience and sort of condense it into the book. So there were all these parts of the experience. There were It was a French-speaking crew. And my sister was, the language came to her a little bit easier than it did to me. And she really took off learning French. And 
the math component, I didn't realize that I have a math component to me that um, well, was also interesting in the cooking and dividing, you know, how many trees are planted and, and how many you can plant in a day and all of that. So I wanted to include all that. And the hard part really was trying to find a way to streamline that information so that it made sense altogether and that it didn't go off on too many tangents to put that whole experience together. And I'm wondering, because I'm always interested when I have people who, who write and illustrate their books, uh, your process for creating the text and the illustrate illustrations. And uh, so what was the process in the, this book? And was it any different from other books that you've done? I think because there's the basis of an experience that there's a lot of information here that um, maybe more so than other books. So I think of the process, this book is more like um, whittling down a sculpture in a way that I had all this information, all these um, memories that I wanted to include. And it was sort of like editing and taking away and sort of forming until it became the book. The book kind of emerged out of that instead of sometimes it's more building. This was more taking away and editing as a process, making decisions. Each decision that you make sort of starts to form the book. And did you actually, um, I can't remember if in the book, if you, you actually revisited this particular area in order to, to sort of, you know, see what it looks like now or just try to, um, you know, remember, you know, what it was like then. Yeah, I did. I um, went back um, before the book went into contract. I went back to make sure that I had the feel of the area again. So it was the summer, it was 2018 or 19 that I went back and visited the trees. And what was that experience like to go back to this place that you're, it was such a vivid memory uh, from your childhood? It was really like a coming home in a way because I felt, you know, I've been in New York. I've lived in New York since I was 17. I, I came here for art school and I really haven't had that experience. Like I haven't experienced my childhood in a way, like I'm not near my childhood. I'm in this city. And so it was really, a, it felt like going home and um, it felt like things made sense and it was really beautiful. Is there a part of the book that you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we head out and it says, we left our little red house in California and flew to Canada where we switched to a seaplane, then flew over mountains, between mountains and around mountains before landing on the water next to a little town on Vancouver Island. We motored to a dock where a crew of 24 Canadians who mostly spoke French met us with trailers, campers, and trucks. Inside the trucks were boxes, and inside the boxes were, and there's a dot, dot, dot. And then on the page, there's, um, you meet the whole crew. And so there's a, a spot picture of the face of the um, crew member and then their name all along it. And we, you see the town and a line of trucks. And then it says, so it says um, inside the trucks were boxes and inside the boxes were trees, one million of them. And then you see this diagram of the tree plugs and the different types of plugs and the um, actual size uh, measuring tape so that you can measure the actual size of the trees. 
And so one thing about reading this book is there's like a, a main streamline story text and then there's labels. And so it depends on the reader of how intricate they want to be while reading the book. So it kind of um, serves all attention spans. And it's a book you can come back to later on and maybe focus on one thing at one time, then go back and look for the other, maybe a different aspect of the book and sort of, and even sort of pick and choose and sort of go back to just a particular, maybe even a particular part of the book if you're interested. So it's a back, a book, I guess the way it's set up so that you can keep going back to it to maybe look at different things about it at different times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of detail that you can focus on or not focus on however you're feeling about it. I'm wondering too, um, the, the process for creating this book, uh, how long did it take? Uh, one thing I talk about a lot on this podcast, um, in particular with picture books is, um, um, that, uh, even though the picture books are shorter and they seem like they're actually, it's, it's quite a process to put together a picture book. It's a, it's a lot more work than I think people realize. So how long was this whole process to finally from start to finish to kind of put this together? I guess it was probably about five years hmm. um, from the idea to turning it in. Um, it depends, you know, because sometimes I just illustrate and sometimes I write and illustrate. And illustrating a picture book is like a certain amount of work. But then when you write and illustrate a picture book, it's about 400 times that amount of work or four times that amount. It's like 400% instead of 100%. So it's a lot more when you have control of the whole forming of the book, too. It, is it a different process of illustrating when you're illustrating your own book as opposed to illustrating uh, someone else's text? Yeah, well, I think that um, sometimes the story comes about from an image. So you might just have an image and you illustrate that image and then the story kind of um, unearths itself from there where if you're if you have the text in front of you and then you go to illustration that it's a different process and are there any other uh, books you're working on that we might look forward to in the future or are there just sort of works in progress right now i have a book called story house that's coming out in the fall and then a mystery bottle which was published in 2006 is being reissued by a different publisher and also will be out in the fall oh that's very exciting yeah do you do additional work when it's being re uh, something like that being re-released, sort of revisit it, or is it just uh, being done by the other publisher? I uh, redid the cover for that, and um, I touched up some of the illustrations inside. I, it's it was published about fifteen years ago, so it's kind of amazing how much I've changed in fifteen years. Looking back at it, how I saw it then, how I see it now. So I went through and I um, made some slight changes to the figures and to the cover. I, I imagine that's kind of a, a nice thing because sometimes when you put things out into the world, they're just there and there's not much you can do about it. So having the opportunity to go back and saying, oh, I, you know, you always think, that, oh, I wish I had done this the first time around. And now you actually have the chance to do that. Right. It's really unusual to get that opportunity, but that was really lovely. Now, the uh, the book you picked as your own particular favorite children's book is also another picture book. Uh, it was one I wasn't familiar with. It's called Don't Cross the Line. And it was written by, and I'm going to, and I apologize if I'm not getting these names right. It was written by Isabel Minhos Martins and illustrated by Bernardo P. 
Carvalho, and this was published in 2016. And for those, uh, like my, like I was before I had a chance to read this book, uh, for other readers who might be unfamiliar with Don't Cross This Line, can you talk a little bit of what this book is about? This book has a few different themes in it. It's about authority. It's about power. It's um, political. It's it's postmodern in the way that it refers to the book as um, the reality of the book and the reality of the story. Yeah. So those are the themes basically in it. And it's interesting. I looking back at it just recently, I realized um, it also has the same structure in that you could read it in a broad way, or you can look at the details and read it in a more, in a slow, in a slower way and take in all the details if you want. And when did you first come across this book? Um, I, I guess maybe three years ago, two years ago, something like that. I was working on um, some illustration classes and I came across it. And what, what was it about it that really just sort of, it was something that struck you immediately or is it something you went back to and it sort of developed over time? I think the immediate part that was really interesting is when the author acknowledges the space of the book. And so when that happens, it sort of like inverts reality in a way that instead of the reader joining into the book's reality, the book is now becoming part of the reader's reality. So it's kind of like a shift in reality and perception, which I really find that kind of thrilling. Now, this is a story you could take it one way. It's, it's sort of a silly story about something happened. But at the same time, it's also something uh, you could look at. It, it's a very serious story at the same time because it touches on a lot of these sort of social and even uh, political ideas. I'm wondering for kids who are reading it, what do you think they might take away uh, from something like this? I think kids are, kids are um, exposed to rules. I mean, rules are such a big kid, part of kids' lives. So I think that the, they completely understand this. And I, it's also, maybe I should read a little bit because you can see how the rules, does, it doesn't really make sense. Sure. So um, it starts on the, on the title page, which I also kind of love is when um, a book starts either in the end papers or um, in the front matter, starts to tell the story. And there's a general telling a soldier this is how it's going to be. I give the orders around here. And that's the title page. Don't cross the line. And then you see this dog um, kind of coming in halfway on the page and a soldier is standing at the, um, at attention at the, at the gutter of the book where the, the center of the book. So one page has a dog and a soldier and the other page is blank and there's no words. And then another person comes onto the page and the dog is sniffing at the soldier. All, both of the, all these things are on the left hand side of the page and the right side is blank. And the dog says, sniff, sniff. And then the man that had came on the page is about to walk across to the other side of the page. And so that becomes the line. And the soldier says, stop. I'm very sorry, but no one is allowed to onto the right hand page. So that moment there where it's acknowledging that it's a book, that it's a page, and also that it's space in their reality is quite remarkable, I think. And then the man says, but why? Is there some terrible danger? Are we being invaded? Is it a demonstration? 
and the dog is still just sniff, sniff, sniffing. It's curious that the, the illustrations uh, uh, that are used are kind of interesting. And like you said, the use of uh, white space of so the illustrations are seemingly very simple. And of course, at the beginning of the book, there's a lot of white space uh, and that gradually gets filled up. But always on that one side of the page, it just stays at least until a certain point. It stays that way. And I know that's sort of a, a deliberate choice and it's something you don't usually see because you usually want to fill up the page. But obviously the use of that white space is a very deliberate choice to um, tell the story, in fact. That's that's right. It's um, cumulative in its structure because it um, starts small and then it builds and builds to where this left-hand side of the page is packed with people. And then the right-hand side of the page is blank. And then uh, the man is questioning the soldier why the other side is blank. He says, uh, nothing like that. My general preserves the right to keep the page blank so he can join the story whenever he feels like it. And the man says, but that's crazy. So that also acknowledges that we're reading a book, that the book, the right-hand side of the page is the space in the story, and um, that there's a story to be joined or not joined. But somehow we're being kept from the story, uh, which is kind of an interesting uh, way to tell a story. And the fact that, that uh, there's a story going on, but we, we are sort of being kept from it for some reason until, until somebody important shows up. <laughs> that, that's how rules feel in a way, don't they? That uh, you have the surface of them, but you just don't know what's going on underneath that. Well, it's interesting as I was reading the book and thinking about the guard, uh, and at first it might seem ridiculous, but I'm thinking as a parent, you know, I have to admit, I sometimes I've seen myself acting uh, like the guard from time to time. <laughs> and sometimes in, in how you ask your children to do seen things, and sometimes you're at a bit of a loss to explain why uh, you are um, telling them to do one thing or another at a particular time. Yeah, I mean, the guard is doing his job, and... And he doesn't really know why either. Uh, one other thing I thought was interesting uh, was that, that the first ones, and I think this was a very important choice, who disrupt that white space are children. And I know, have no doubt that's a deliberate choice of the author. I'm just wondering, I think, it's, I think you know, it's so important a book like this for children to see themselves as like agents of change. It's the children who kind of disrupt that space. That was beautiful, wasn't it? Um, nice detail the the ball the there are two kids playing with a ball and the ball bounces across the page yeah and i think you know for for kids reading of this uh to because i i think the books that show kids as the heroes of the story that's very important for the kids who are being read to or reading the story to see that themselves in that light absolutely it, it's um i mean it's true in how the world works that um we all have power and and no matter how little you are, you have power too. Another thing I noticed about this book and, and thinking of your own book is that it isn't read like some picture books where there's like a, a single set of text and there's an accompanying picture. But in this one, there's all sorts of different places that you could look to see what's going on, All the you know, especially as the book goes on. There's all sorts of different characters saying all sorts of different things. You, your eye doesn't settle on just like one particular thing. And, so, and like your book too, you've got sort of little bits and pieces you can go to and you sort of choose where you want to 
um, to um, to to look or to explore at a particular time. And what's what do you think the value of? I mean, you, those picture books that have the text and books are, are are very good. But what's the value of this kind of book uh, for kids, where they have to, you know, it isn't just a single place for their uh, eyes to rest on. Well, you know. Kids are different, people are different, and your mood is different. So sometimes, you know, you just want to read through the story. And other times you want to slow down and you want to kind of take in all the details. So in a way, the reader has control of um, the experience because they get to read the book however they want. So really, it serves a wider range audience, which I think sometimes, sometimes, Kids that don't have a long attention span can get left out of the books, but this book, the both of these books, can suit that type of reader as well. So kids can take a more active part in the reading, reading maybe pointing out things that they want to uh, look at at a particular time, or talk about. You know, maybe they, and also, you know, there's kind of like this underlying story that in this book, there's the dog that is sniffing around, and it kind of creates like underlying threads in the story. In my story, there's a bird that follows us through the whole experience. So it's kind of nice to point out, to figure out those threads that are hidden in the illustrations. The thing I always talk about with uh, picture books, um, you know, they're often identified for books for very much younger children that we read to, but I always see there can be a value and using books for older kids or even adults. Uh, can you see a book like this, like Don't Cross the Line, um, being uh, you know, used in various ways for, for older kids or even adults as a way to start a conversation? Absolutely. It's, I mean, we, we all kind of butt up against authority um, in different parts of our lives. So this is really a playful example of that. And it can talk to any point in your life where you're kind of feeling that control. And well, I don't want to say too much about the ending of the book, but the progression of the power play is interesting in how this book forms. So I think that is a really um, sort of ripe space to talk with older children or, or adults to um, explore that theme. Kristen, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me both about uh, your own book, One Million Trees, and the creation of that, and for both introducing me to this book, Don't Cross the Line, and for talking to me about it today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jody. You can find more information about Kristen Baluch at www.kristenbaluch.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.